This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Welcome to the Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore, because life is just better with a book. In this episode, we'll explore the Leanne Moriarty novel, The Husband's Secret, as we all wait for Nine Perfect Strangers to be released. We'll look at the Ian McEwan novella on Chesil Beach, which has just been made into a movie starring Saoirse Ronan, plus the new YA novel, Out of the Cages, which explores the sex industry in India. That's by Australian author Penny Jay. But first, let's peek inside The Husband's Secret. The envelope was grey with a fine layer of dust. The words on the front were written in a scratchy blue ballpoint pen, the handwriting as familiar as her own. She turned it over. It was sealed with a yellowing piece of sticky tape. When was it written? It felt old like it was written years ago, but there was no way of knowing for sure. She wasn't going to open it. It was absolutely clear that she should not open it. She was the most decisive person she knew and she'd already decided not to open the letter, so there was nothing more to think about. Although, honestly, if she did open it, what would be the big deal? Any woman would open it like a shot. She listed all her friends and what their responses would be if she were to ring them up right now and ask them what they thought. Miriam Oppenheimer. Yup, open it. Erica Edgecliffe. Are you kidding? Open it right this second. Laura Marks. Yes, you should open it, and then you should read it aloud to me. Sarah Sachs. There would be no point in asking Sarah, because she was incapable of making a decision. If Cecilia asked her whether she wanted tea or coffee, she would sit for a full minute, her forehead furrowed as she agonised over the pros and cons of each beverage, before finally saying, Coffee. No, wait, tea. A decision like this would give her a brain seizure. Now, Leanne Moriarty has sold over 14 million books. Big Little Lies has made her a household name. The world is literally waiting for her new novel, Nine Perfect Strangers, set in a health retreat and due out in September here in Australia. But in the meantime, Natasha, people have already read Big Little Lies and Truly Madly Guilty. What should they read next from Leanne Moriarty. Now, my book club is doing What Alice Forgot right now. Uh, I but- love What Alice Forgot. Okay, Great I'm book. not into it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but you've got another one. What, what have you been reading? I read The Husband's Secret. Okay, what's this um, about? Which is another really popular one of hers. So it's, I mean, it's about the same thing all her books are about, really. It's about uh, a few women. Uh, it's kind of oriented around this primary school. They revolve around this community, so sort of suburban lives. Um, there's a woman called Cecilia, uh, who's the mother of three daughters, and her husband, John Paul, is away on business, and she goes into the attic for something, and she finds a letter that he's written her that's labelled, To My Wife Cecilia, to be opened only in the event of my death. Oh, my goodness. And she's like, oh. Well, what what should I? So there's kind of the so moral sh- dilemma of should I open, open it? it? And then you know, um, I assume to- she does open it. Look, look, and she does. I, I feel that like you that's not a spoiler. Can't tell us what the husband's secret is. <laughs> Absolutely right? Absolutely can't tell you. No. Um, oh, I will say me. that I guessed you know more or less what was in it before they opened it. But then there's the kind of the aftermath of what you do with that um so it's got some good suspense going um and there are a couple of other characters whose lives are woven in with her and her husband so there's um a woman called tess who's living in melbourne but is kind of from this same community and her husband declares at the start of the novel that 
uh, he and her cousin, who's also her best friend, are in love and, you know, she's a bit like what the – she takes her son and goes to Sydney to stay with her mother. Um, and then there's also an older woman whose daughter was a contemporary of theirs and she died when she was a teenager. And so this woman is the school secretary and so their stories all kind of intersect and we so what get to know them. So what kinds of themes sort of come out in this book without giving too much away if yeah. that's possible? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not sure – Leanne Moriarty is big on themes, or maybe I'm just not big on themes. I feel like what she does really well is show you these authentic, suburban, kind of busy, sometimes frustrating, but also more or less happy lives, these ordinary lives of people, um, and then gets you beneath the surface of like, okay, what's really going on? And um, this is maybe ordinary, innocent suburban life, but that can go quite deep and quite dark quite quickly. So, you know, in Big Little Lies, um, there's quite a strong theme of domestic violence. A lot of people know um, Mm. some things that go on there. This is more kind of murder and illness and, you know, some quite horrible things. So I I think I feel with Leanne Moriarty, like, because she says, because she shows, as you mentioned, that kind of darker side to ordinary life, it sort of can make you question your own life and your own relationship. So did this book have any kind of impact on you in that way? Look, I'm not a mum in a suburban, like, it's kind of not my life. So I find it really interesting and amusing like there's often a lot of humor in her books mm. um but i sort of don't feel implicated in it in a way and <laughs> so, so i think maybe it's a, yeah yeah i think of... it's maybe a less stressful read for me than for <laughs> some people who are like no this really is my life <laughs> i felt that way but, about big little lies yeah i mean yeah. i will say that big little lies is one of the funniest books i've ever read it's so like, funny it's quite dark in some places but it's also hilarious the husband's secret is equally really well written and really great psychologically and you care about the characters and there is some humor in it but it's not as funny and it's a bit darker somehow all right so what did you enjoy about it i enjoyed the characters you know you just they're likable even though they're um you know flawed as they say all characters are flawed um you know cecilia the main character is one of those kind of super organized mums that you can see how lots of people might hate her but because you're inside her head <laughs> um you're kind of seeing how she feels about that and she has this kind of angst about well i'm now the organized person and that's how people see me and it's almost become like this olympic sport of being okay. an organized mum and so i think just kind of really nailing playground politics is one of her real specialities i think as mm-hmm. a writer um welcome to my life right yeah, now natasha absolutely yeah. you need to read the husband's secret okay next on my list after i read what alice forgot i yeah. can imagine this is going to be another movie yeah well it is slated to be a movie actually um i believe blake lively has being cast as Cecilia. Oh. We love her, right? Interesting. Okay, I look forward to that. Thank you, Natasha. Our next book is a novella by Ian McEwan. Now, he's the author of Atonement, which was made into a film with Kira Knightley. I really enjoyed both the movie and the book of that story. But today we're tackling On Chesil Beach, which has also just been made into a movie starring Irish it girl Saoirse Ronan and Billy Howe. She knew she should have spoken up long ago, as soon as he proposed, long before the visit to the sincere and soft-voiced vicar, and dinners with their respective parents, before the wedding guests were invited, 
the gift list devised and lodged with a department store, and the marquee and photographer hired, and all the other irreversible arrangements. But what could she have said? What possible terms could she have used when she could not have named the matter to herself? And she loved Edward, not with the hot, moist passion she'd read about, but warmly, deeply, sometimes like a daughter, sometimes almost maternally. She loved cuddling him and having his enormous arm around her shoulders and being kissed by him, though she disliked his tongue in her mouth and had wordlessly made this clear. So this is the story of two newlyweds in the 1960s. Tell us about Florence and Edward. So they're just quite an ordinary couple in some ways, in that way that from the outside they'd be ordinary, from the inside they're, you know, their own really particular people and their relationship is this really particular relationship. So they're both young, they're kind of early 20s, Edward's a graduate student in history, Florence is a violinist, Um, she's very shy but also quite classy and beautiful and, um, you know, kind of clumsy outside of her violin playing but... Uh, has this real force and beauty in the way that she plays her instrument. And, you know, they're just really in love. Um, They are both virgins. It's their wedding night. It's kind of set up for things to just go really badly. It's the early 60s. They are from conservative backgrounds. They don't know how to talk about sex. They haven't talked about it. Um, And they're both – they're feeling quite differently about – how this night is going to go down and how they want it to. All right. Now, this book is, you know, very much set in that specific time and place of the 60s. Did you get a sense of, you know, what life would have been like then and the values that they, I guess, were immersed in at the time? I think so. I mean, you know, I wasn't around, so I don't know how right he is, but there are even things, little touches. I'd just like to clarify that I wasn't around either. You weren't, In no. case people will listen to this and I know, got I that feel... misconception. <laughs> we were not around and, you know, can't necessarily judge how accurate his take on the period is. I believe he was around. Um, but... You know, you kind of get a feeling, even for things like the food is different and the way that they think about food is different. Um, you know, he talks early on about how, you know, this is still at a time when youth is seen as a bit of a disadvantage and you kind of want to grow up as quickly as possible. And so them getting married is kind of, oh, well, we're, we're leaving behind youthful things and kind of becoming real people and just kind of shifts in cultural sensitivities like that. So it's written sort of like the the narrator is now and looking back on then. So it's not as though it's kind of pretending to be. Oh, how you know, interesting. Time, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I, I found Ian McEwan's writing style, like it, when I read Atonement, it was unlike anything I'd read before and I found his style quite intense. But just from what I've seen of this, it seems uh, very almost straightforward or sort of simplistic written. What did you think about the writing style? Look, the writing is very, like it has sort of a lulling sense. It is it is straightforward and it is kind of a novella. It's, it's quite short. Um, so it's, an, it's a deceptively easy read, but it is still really intense. So he does this, you know, it's a different kind of suspense to his other novels, which are often like something, you know, something large scale terrible is maybe going to happen. Whereas this is a lot more like it's so interior and because you see in to both of their heads and you can see how he's interpreting things and how she's like what's actually going on in her head is really different to what he thinks is going on um and you come to care a lot about these two people and their 
they're heading succeeding, for a quiet but yeah, disaster. You, yeah, you can just the intensity of that is kind of almost excruciating as oh. a read. So it's it's very good, but you know I don't want to reread it because it was it was kind of um, devastating. Like without giving away the ending, they may or may not mm. you know work out. But it's got this knife edge feel I, throughout I, the whole of it that they can make. Whatever happens tonight is going to kind of determine the course of their whole lives and that's sort of terrifying. I feel like as a film it's going to be one of those films that kind of sits in silent moments of tension and anxiety. I think tension is yeah. the word for his writing and I imagine it will be for the movie as well. Okay. So what do you think this book is sort of saying or what did you get out of it in terms of you know, reflecting on sex and relationships because that seems to be what this is really about? Yeah, I mean... I think it would be easy to be like, oh, it's about how people didn't used to talk about sex and that's terrible because they can't be open with each other and that puts this real roadblock in the way of their relationship. And that could be kind of really condescending, right, to write that from a perspective 50 years later and being like, oh, well, now we don't struggle with this. We're so open about sex and love and relationships I read reviews that were like that. Yeah, yeah well, I, I don't think that is kind of what's going on because it isn't it isn't condescending to them, um, even though their experience of sex is very different to the way our culture kind of talks about it and the way we see it on TV and so on. Um, like you really do sympathise with these characters, but also you can see how this is true of relationships anytime is that we're really influenced by expectations by, you know, and I think nowadays in an age of porn and kind of dealing with the tail end of the rom-com fantasy and what our expectations are for relationships and of each other in relationships um, really collide sometimes with, you know, well, how much can I reveal of myself and how I really feel and what is okay and what is not okay and those kind of insecurities Mm. that come up. So I think even though, you know, they're these really um, innocent, inexperienced um, newlyweds, there's that sense of misunderstanding each other and, you know, wanting to defend their own dignity and pride, maybe at the cost of their relationship, uh, those things are kind of eternal themes. Mm, yeah. And I think we're exempt from that because as a culture we're very open about sex. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you could you could get hung up on the wrong part of this movie rather than sort of seeing how universal it is, I guess. Yeah, and I guess if the movie makes us feel like, like makes us look down on them as, oh, they're such, you know, they're so naive. Yeah. yeah. I don't, if it does that, then I don't think it's done a service to the book. Okay. And so would you want to see the movie after reading the book? I think it would depend on my mood, whether I felt like I could handle the tension and the melancholy and, you know, like it is a powerful story, but intense. Okay. Thank you. And now we've got a new segment. I'm quite excited about this, Natasha, where we discuss our reading regrets. Never forget. Never forget. Do forget your reading regrets. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> What's your one? Look, I think often the books that I regret are books that I was really excited about and had high expectations for, and then they turn out not to be what I thought. So mine is P.D. James' Death Comes to Pemberley. Okay. Which, you know, I mean, 
like you're always going to read the Jane Austen spin-off, right? Even yeah. if it's bad. Um, and I was like, oh, great. This is a crossover of two of my favourite things. Exactly. Murder Mystery and Jane, Jane Austen. Austen. So what can go wrong? Um, but actually, I just really didn't enjoy it. It was kind of boring. It was kind of chaotic. I mean, it's it's a murder mystery set in a time before the detective exists, right? There's kind of, you know, the magistrate trying to investigate and stuff, and maybe that had something to do with it. But I think I just was like, no, this is a <laughs> surely um, the murder mystery is a formulaic form. You know, this this shouldn't be difficult to pull off well. And there's so much goodwill because it's Pemberley and it's Lizzie and it's Darcy and we're up for it. But no, no. I saw the um, the TV series and... The TV series is way better, actually. I didn't... I wouldn't say I loved it and I wouldn't rave about it, but I enjoyed it. I think if you had read the book first, you would have been like, this miniseries is the best thing ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would recommend seeing the BBC miniseries and not reading the book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, How my, about your regret? Yeah, Natasha, my reading regret is I, I don't I don't want to be overly critical, but um, I read this book in my book club, The Keeper of Lost Things by Ruth Hogan. Now, the premise is that basically a guy, you know, he's lost his wife and he goes around um, collecting all these lost things and keeping them. And when he Hence passes the away, of lost things, sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Got it. He leaves his whole house to his like house assistant. She's kind of like a housekeeper, whatever. He leaves his estate to her and she's had a really sad marriage. And then, of course, she has this romance with the gardener. <laughs> And, you know, inherits all this stuff and her life just, you know, she has to find the people who lost the things. Look, it's just a bit um, of a stretch, I guess. How so? In that, you know, she just happened to have nothing else going on in her life that she could move into his house, take over all his lost stuff and had nothing else to do. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but So there's some cute things about it, but then it sort of turns into like this ghost story oh. with a ghost I hope that's not a spoiler, but a ghost sort of inhabiting the house. And, again, for me, that was another bridge too far where I thought <laughs> this book doesn't know what it wants to be, if it's a yeah. romance, if it's a mystery, if it's a suspense or if it's a ghost story. So You wanted warning of what it was. Yeah. Look, the other thing I couldn't cope with was that there was just this best friend that appeared like randomly about halfway through the book and solved a problem for the main character and then disappeared again. And I really felt like that was an afterthought that was added in to solve a plot hole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So chaos. Yeah, so having said that, if you don't mind the whole ghost plotline and you want a kind of a middle-aged romance, you may enjoy this book. It has some sweet elements. You may not regret it. Yeah. (laughs) Just you did. (laughs) That's right. I was a bit picky. Oh, dear. All right. So now, Natasha, we've got my pick, um, Mm, my book, and I'm really excited about this one. It's not what I would normally read, but it is well worth the read. So it's called Out of the Cages by Penny J. And I must just declare that Penny is a friend of mine and that I was involved in the launch Mm -hmm, of her mm -hmm. book. So that's my self-interest. Yeah. But it is a confronting novel about a young girl called Mina who's in Nepal. She's a 12-year-old. She and her 11-year-old friend are actually um, tricked into being trafficked into India to work in the sex industry in India. Oh, gosh. It shows you the very complex chain of events by which this takes place and how these poor girls are hoping to find a good job in India to help their families um, and then find themselves in this truly awful situation and it just shows the complexity of how those kind of situations can eventuate. It shows a little bit of their life um, working in the hotel and that is 
they call it a hotel inverted commas, um, that is distressing uh, to read. But what this book is really about is about the healing process. When Mina four years later finds herself rescued in a police raid, um, she ends up in one of those homes for girls who have been um, rescued from sex slavery and the process of healing has to take place. So it is a confronting read and I definitely would, you know, say 16 and up. Yeah, okay, because it's, it's a young adult novel, right? And obviously this is kind of a young adult issue. Like there are young adults and children mm. who are subject to sex trafficking and, you know, we don't want to pretend that that's not the case. But, like, that's quite an intense topic. It for, really is. And I've is never it very graphic? moved the book from my home. No, it's not. And it doesn't really even have a sex scene as mm-hmm. such, although you're very aware of the of things that are happening through. to these yeah. kids. Yeah, and and things like probably one of the most confronting things is that when there's a police raid, it's the youngest kids who are hidden behind a false wall. And oh, so they're wow. kind of trapped in there while the police search for minors. Uh, there's definitely some confronting stuff in there. I guess the thing that it stops it being overwhelming is that there is this hope and this healing and you see that there are people working very hard um, to free these girls. That said, she does have a little friend she takes with her and the main character, Mina, is overwhelmed with guilt about the fact that she convinced her other little friend to come with her and ultimately um, they are separated and so she desperately wants to know if her friend is okay or not. And that's a really difficult part of the story to come to terms with. And, I mean, obviously it's a really important issue and it's important for people to know about it. I feel like sometimes books that are kind of about a cause like that are a bit, you know, propaganda. Like is is it – a fully realised novel or is it kind of a like we want you to no, go behind this cause? definitely a fully realised novel and the characterisation is the book's strength. Um, mm-hmm. There are some fantastic female characters, all very different from each other. There's some strong characters. There's some traumatised characters. There are people in all sorts of situations. The friendships between these girls is the redeeming force in the book. They help each other and every time that Mina um, gets some assistance, that something that helps her to break out, it is because of a really sacrificial act from a friend. I think that's one of the lovely parts of the novel. If I had a criticism, I would say it's maybe slightly lacking in humour. I would have liked just a little bit of lightness maybe interspersed through it. A bit too dark. Hmm. But you are really alongside Mina on her journey and That is what makes it deeply moving. I actually had tears streaming down my face when I got to the end of the book and I would really highly recommend it. You won't be oppressed by it because of that hope there that you know, you know from the beginning that she is going to be rescued. Yeah. So 16 and up. 16 and up for sure. Okay. Yeah, it's called Out of the Cages by Penny J. Well, thanks, Natasha. It's been fun to chat with you. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for listening to the Hope Book Club with Katrina Rowe and Natasha Moore from the Centre for Public Christianity. The books we've talked about in this episode were in McEwan's novella on Chesil Beach, which has just been made into a film, one of Leanne Moriarty's backlist, The Husband's Secret, and the new YA release, Out of the Cages by Penny J. You've been listening to the Hope Book Club. Because life's just better with a book. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.